I'm Hera. And I'm Aisha. And we are the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice, or SMCs. Like you, as SMCs, we decided to become mothers knowing we'd be the sole care provider and parent of our children, at least at the outset. And the Mocha is for Black. We discuss being SMCs from an intentionally Black lens. You'll connect with all the interesting and fun things about this non-traditional path. Like how you decide which sperm to use, the cold, hard truth of fertility, your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co-parent to rely on for occasional childcare, and what it's actually like to parent as an SMC. This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast. Hey, ladies. So we are back and we had so many questions that we have a whole new AMA for you this week. That should be super exciting. So let's hop right in. So the first question, Aisha, what are my options if I can't find a black donor and I want my child to match my skin color? Okay. All right. So this is a good question. We see this a lot. I'd say probably a percent of the mamas who come to our space are wanting to um, have a child that looks like them, a brown child or what have you. So we're seeing this question a lot more. And so I think I've recounted at some point what my experience was um, getting started and trying for my first. Like I was a novice. I was new, didn't know any black SMCs. And so I relied on my um, fertility clinic a bit. They gave me, you know, one particular bank and they were like, you know, choose sperm, then buy two vials and then, you know, call us in the morning. So I took the time to kind of, I was excited. So I went to the website, I put in my criteria and then I got like six matches or yeah, I got some matches and only six were black. And I was like, Okay. And so then at the time, you know, everybody's saying, you know, get an open ID donor because you want your kid, you know, to be able to meet the donor if they can at 18. So I filtered by open ID. That gave me two African-American donors. And I'm just like, oh, well, that can't be right. So then I was like, let me try this again and let me remove all of the filters and just put in, you know, so I removed all the filters and it was just only, it was like 550 donors. And I was like, wait, or is everybody across the country using these same 550 donors? And so I was just like, wow. And then there were only like six blacks. So eventually I had to broaden my scope and said, okay, I don't want to be limited to use the same two donors that every black woman in America is using. So let me broaden my, um, my scope. And so I started looking across the brown black color spectrum. Now I had dated interracially kind of speak uh, when I was dating. So I knew that there were um, people who were not considered black, but who were browner or just brown as me. And so that allowed me to just expand that search just a little bit. So I ended up finding a brown donor because more so than um, race, if I couldn't have an actual African-American donor, I wanted my child to visibly look like a Black child, look like they belong to me. And so then that took me into the brown spectrum. Um, And so once I found brown, I also wanted hair texture that resembled mine just a bit and so that I can do cornrows. Right. And so that is that for me, that was my ideal morning. My child would get up, have fresh cornrows, and then we would roll out the house. And so I ended up finding what I was looking for. It wasn't a black donor, African-American donor, but it was a donor of color that was a brown donor. And so that's how I went about choosing my donor. 
Yeah, so I totally get this question, uh, especially as somebody who grew up a different color than both of my parents. I really hate it when people said it asked if my parents were nannies or my driver because they just assumed that I was not related to them because we weren't the same color. And so when I went to look for a donor, I tried to actively choose one that had a similar background to mine for that reason. I will say though, I didn't choose someone like, I, I always find it fascinating where people are like, well, I date this type of person. I did not choose someone based on who I date. I chose someone simply based on like, if my kid turns out to look exactly like this person, they will still look like they belong to me. Right. <laughs> and so I, I was very specific about that. And I happened to be fortunate in that I found someone not relative, not quickly, but like relative quickly, because I was basically stocking all the banks for a particular criteria. I will also say that you can, you can try to engineer this, but your kid will be who your kid is going to be. And I think it's really interesting, especially when you talk about mixing races, you just never know what you're going to get. Your kid could reach back and end up looking like somebody that is not in your immediate family and still look like still have gotten those genes from you or have gotten them from the donor. So just understand that there's really, you can, you can try your best effort and your child could st still end up being a fairly significant shade, shade different than you are. Mm -hmm. And I also will say to women that if you do choose a donor outside of your race, please understand that your child's identity may end up being different than your own. Be okay with that. And also be understanding enough to allow them the space to explore their own identity that could be different from your own. Yeah. So I will just add to that. So to, to, to Hera saying, you don't know what you're going to get once you have this baby, right? Because Literally, you you got sperm and you are crossing your fingers that, you know, you you <laughs> on what your baby, you're rolling the dice, right? Like any parent would on what your kid is going to look like. And I will tell you, I had a really funny moment where I was worried that my my daughter wasn't going to get brown enough. Like her first summer, I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, like bring your hands like, you know, is the melanin going to kick in? And then my child had hairy ears. And so I'm just Whoa. like, I'm like, what, what kind of alien being did I create, you know? And so eventually, you know, probably like as she moved into like one years old, you know, the hair eventually fell away, but you know, <laughs> I could have been the mom of a child with hairy ears. And I, I you know, yeah. I, I decided I'm just going to love, you know, this little stranger that is going to make an appearance in the world. But it was, you know, kind of funny because there are some 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 funny moments as you're going through, you know, picking firm and, and all this stuff, funny moments, funny comments. And so it was it doesn't have to be something that that's hair raising and hand wringing. But just know, like I said, you don't know what you're going to get. And <laughs> it was, uh, a bit funny because I was like, oh, my gosh, can can we trim this? Um, and then secondly, is that while I was given one bank please know that there are many sperm banks that exist out there in the world. I was at the beginning stages. I did not know any better. So I just went with what my bank gave me, but there are tons of banks. And if you're in our space or in any FMC spaces, you know, 
people will kind of give you an idea of which banks have black donors. And, you know, and in our space, I love them because they will let us know new black donor, you know, has appeared at a particular bank. Um, And so, you know, all that fun community building. Okay, (laughs) next question. Does IVF hurt? Okay, that's. Yeah, so so I will say, I, I always joke about how, after my IVF cycle, my stomach looked like I had been jumped out of a gang because it was just like black and blue. It was really disgusting. That doesn't happen for everyone. I just happened to bruise incredibly easily and still have the marks from IVF. However, I I actually thought it was going to be worse than it ended up being. And I think part of it is because I am deathly terrified of needles. I just, I don't, I don't like them. I've never liked giving, taking blood and, and all the things, but the needle is actually pretty small. And after you do it a couple of times, it's kind of like, okay, I'm just going to like rub some ice and let it rip. And, and I, and I think for me more than the needle hurting, I just felt really, I got hyper stimulated. So I just felt really bloated and like gross for about a week. And then also because they had extracted so many eggs, half of them were ended up being immature, but it just, the recovery for me wasn't, amazing. I basically sat on my couch for two days with a heat pack on my stomach, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, yeah, IUI, not painful. They don't have to cut into you at all. IVF more painful, but if I could do it all over again, I would have done IVF the first time because, you know, you have a higher chance of success. And I did, I did go on to have have two children. So if I had been thinking about that to begin with, when I had my first daughter, I could have saved money in the long run had I just done the IVF and had the leftover embryos, but it all worked out in the end. (laughs) So I, I bruised as well um, with IVF, but I don't think it was uh, too painful. Now, you know, some people, for people who are deathly, you know, afraid of needles and any have a lower pain tolerance, you know, it is going to be what it is going to be. Like I keep saying, you got to be in it to win it. Um, So I did IVF one, two, three, four, five cycles of IVF. And so the first time, again, it's like this black hole. You don't really know what to expect. People talk about the needles. The first time I did IVF, I was just like, oh, is that it? You know, so the needles were a thing, but you get over that once you learn to ice this ice the area, you learn where to um, stick the needle. But after like, you know, four or five IVF cycles, it's just like whatever. So here's some tips that I, you know, came about for getting through the needle portion of IVF. So one tip, if you're using progesterone and oil, warm it, either warm it between your hands, warm it Mm. in you know, make sure that it is warmer than room temperature, because then that makes the oil a bit more um, slick and less viscous. And so it'll, it'll draw into the needle easier and the injection is going to be easier. Also, I, I would say give yourself a treat and treat. I, I always had a specific time to give my injections. And so you'll hear some people with harrowing stories. Like I, I had, I forgot my progesterone in the middle of the day. I had to do my shots. I picked the time of day where I was going to be calm, where it was just going to be relaxing to give my shots. That means it's either in the morning or in the evening when I knew I would be home. 
Um, And so then I can set up my space. I would burn the candles. I would either have chocolate or wine waiting for me. I made it as if it was part of my self-care, right? Because in the grand scheme of things, taking control of your life and being an SMC is a whole life thing. So I made it a part of my self-care. Should have had the wine. (laughs) <laughs> that is totally clush. I'm like, I should have had the wine. Yeah, that would have made it a lot wine, easier. <laughs> it, was, it was the wine and the chocolate. And if you were like me, like you travel, you know, globally, like I would have bottles of wine that I was saving until I don't know when. Nice. I would buy, I would open the wine. I would burn the candles that you get that you, you're saving yeah. for. And, and drink the wine now, because once you're pregnant, you can't drink it. So you may yes. as well enjoy it while you're yes. having your shots. <laughs> Especially if it's red wine, because I think of red wine as opening all of the vessels. Anyway, <laughs> I really treated it like, you know, it was me time. And it was, you know, time where I would just be in a real calm state, because if you're tense, your body is tense and the drugs in. Um, but that was pretty much how I got through. So it, does IVF hurt? It depends on your, your pain tolerance, but there are things that you can do to make it more palatable. Awesome. Okay. So this is a really serious one, Aisha. Are you ready for it? Okay. I'm ready. My baby is four months old and his losing patches or his or her, or her hair. What can I do to stop this? Well, they can join the club because by <laughs> months, mama is still losing <laughs> Yeah, we can match. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of like the Lenugo that babies have on them when they're in utero. Like all of that stuff changes once you hit the air. So expect your baby's skin to get acne or eczema, you know, because Mm -hmm. their hair, their body, their skin is adjusting to life outside of the womb, which can be quite harsh. Right. And so they're going to go through all of these different changes and hair loss, unfortunately, is one of the changes because their baby hair, that in utero hair is starting to change and starting to fall out. Also, they are getting different nutrients when they're outside. And, you know, they were exposed to your hormones, pregnancy hormones when they were in utero as well. So all of that starts to balance out and become a bit normal. Now, I nursed for quite a bit. So so I didn't I don't know. I didn't notice um, if my child had as much hair loss, but when they're sleeping on their back and rubbing their head, that's the slowest part of her hair to grow. And then I didn't notice a lot of hair loss on my own head until I started weaning um, from nursing. Um, So then, you know, and now it's starting to come back in just a little bit, but these changes are going to happen. It's a normal, normal fact. And so please don't go through any extreme measures to hold on to the hair because you're going to be heartbroken every time you go to change the sheets and you see hair and sometimes you can see the hair. Um, So just, just roll with it. Everybody's going to say cute baby anyway. Nobody's going to say, look at that bald baby. Nobody's going to say that. My kids had crazy hair. They just, they both had like really crazy cradle cap. Mm -hmm. And so if anyone cradle cap basically looks like your child has a disease on their scalp, like Mm -hmm. it's just gross. It flakes off everywhere. And, you know, there's some brushes that you can get to try to get it out. And then when you do that, like the hair comes out clumps. And Mm -hmm. so they looked like, you know, they looked like a sick patient with like patches of hair coming out. And, and so I, I will definitely encourage moms to not get too wrapped around the axle about what their kid's hair looks like before the age of two, because it really doesn't become what it's going to be until they're about two. Mm-hmm. And 
there's really nothing you can do. It's not like you can smooth their hair down and, you know, make change their eventual curl pattern. Like it's going to be what it's going to be. And the best thing you can really do is leave it alone and just Mm -hmm. let it do its thing. Uh, Any sort of unnecessary hair care products at that age to me, is like, that's introducing something that you probably don't want to put on your kid's head. And I will also note that it sometimes bothers me a lot. The, the emphasis especially in the black community that we put on hair. And I try really hard to de-emphasize hair in my household because I have noticed that the outside world emphasizes it so much. And I will tell a short story about how I dropped my daughter off at school the other day and the school nurse comes out and she's all like, oh my gosh, Stella has the most beautiful hair in the school. And like my daughter like tossed her hair and my eyes just like, straight bugged out of my head. And I gave this woman like a death stare. And I calmly said, please don't do that. And I think she was caught off guard because I think she was thinking like, oh, I'm giving this girl an incredible compliment. But I'm like, okay, first of all, she knows, right? Because everybody says it. Everyone's like, oh, look at these curls. And And I'm like, there's so much more that we should want our kids to strive for. Like we should be saying, oh, you're so smart oh, you're so accomplished, you know, oh, look at how, you know, how great you are at sports, whatever, you know, just try to get them to be confident in something that is not wrapped up in, in how they look or what their hair looks like on any given day. So I will say for, (laughs) so with my first child, oh, poor, she was baldy. Like all she had was a a patch of hair in the front, but hair, hairs, but you know, this patch of hair on the front. Um, And I will say, you know, Similar to to Hera, I tried really hard to to not emphasize hair. Like I am, I'm glad that she got to see me, you know, do the big chop and transition my hair and kind of see it grow and see it short and see it long. And then, you know, so that way it's just part of the landscape in our family. And then also we've we've cut her hair, you know, at least twice. You know, and so now she's starting to have preferences about, you know, what she wants to see or what she wants to do to her hair. Um, so, you know, I just I just kind of say, yeah, you know, if we could de-emphasize that um, a bit, you know, especially. Well, no, just de-emphasize it. Um, just kind of let let the kid just be and kind of grow into, you know, because I can tell you trying to do, you know, corn rolls or trying to do a kid's hair in general can sometimes be traumatic, especially if they have tender heads or what have you. So I don't even look at hair anymore. It is something that I have to do and something I have to get her through because it is just such a scene in our, and so I just want it, I just want it neat and I just don't want to have the tears. And so, yeah, I want my kids to love the hair they have. I just don't want them to feel like they, it, to feel, to feel like their looks in general are outshining everything else about them, which is what I try to balance on a regular basis. <laughs> okay. All right. So next question, my child is getting to the reading age and I'm noticing that most of these books at her level feature um, white kids with a mom and a dad. How can I be intentional about what he's reading so that they're able to also see their family and themselves reflected in what they're reading? So this one is a great question and something that I struggle with in my house and have struggled with for the past few years that my daughter has been reading. And I think this is, this goes back to 
I think as SMCs and really as Black parents, we often have to do the work that the school is unable to do or perhaps unwilling to do, whatever it is, right? And I think that it's really important to go into your school library and go into the classroom library and actually see for yourself what they're reading and start to question the school and the teachers as to why you're not seeing diverse books. And I think a lot of times teachers might be unaware that this is a legitimate family structure. And so they don't know to, to make sure that they have, have all of these uh, different types of family structures in their classrooms. So I will say when my daughter was in about first grade, I noticed that the teachers were sending her home with books that had brown characters, but were not at her reading level. They were significantly lower than her reading level. And I was coming to the realization that they were doing this because they, you know, they wanted her to have diverse characters in her books. However, they were disadvantaging her as a result of that. And so we had to have that conversation, but I also brought some books to the classroom. Um, One of our favorite books is Don't Touch My Hair. It's a great book of you know, teaches about consent, as well as talks about this little girl basically getting frustrated because people keep touching her without her permission. And it also, and interestingly, because we just spoke about hair, is affirming of um, curls and, you know, wild curls and all of their glory. Uh, And so I brought this into the classroom and I told the teacher, you know, could you read this? And I also said, I am happy to donate more books like this. And so the school was actually really appreciative. And I also noticed uh, the teacher reached back out to me and she said that there was another little girl in the class who was Somalian American who loved the book, Don't Touch My Hair. And she wanted to read it over and over again. And so the teacher was really thankful that I had done something that didn't just impact my kid, but you know, had um, other kids in the class could now see themselves in the characters of the books. I love that. So one of the things I love about Hera um, is that she is all in the classroom. And I'm like, I am so not because I consider myself an extroverted introvert only by profession. So I'm more so an introvert. And so and I'm real insular. Like, I really want to make sure my kid has and is there where I need them to be. And, you know, it extends out to their friends, but that requires more effort on my part to be extroverted. I'm not that. Um, So I will say I don't have this same um, problem necessarily. Um, I think, thank goodness for Amazon, for everything that, you know, people can say about Amazon. Amazon has really brought in um, the accessibility to diverse books and diverse materials for kids. And so I've really leveraged that. Um, In my household, I will rarely have books that have white characters. And so my approach um, is different. I, as a Black person, I don't look to the schools to do anything more for my kid. I believe that they will teach about, they will offer books the way that they offer history lessons, that there's a gap in what is actually the reality and what they teach in the classroom. So I've always looked at um, teaching in the classroom as I'm going to heavily supplement for my daughter and whomever friends are around. Um, So to that extent, I was proactive about finding Black books, Black authors and things like that. So we do have I Love My Hair, which is a a fun book. There's another um, good book um, about hair um, as well. Our, our ultimate favorite um, is I like myself, I like me. And, you know, mm-hmm. 
a frizzy haired brown child, you know, just kind of, I love myself. I love me. You know, I am who I'm meant to be. And it's just like, even when I look a mess, I don't love me any less, you know, definitely one of our favorite um, little books, but, you know, so I keep a rotation and not just books that imply, you know, making up for something that is lacking. Right. So I don't want books that is just like, you know, oh, you're great. You're you're enough. You're this. I want books that show black children, black families doing everyday black things like going to school, going to the park, playing with friends, making dinner and cooking. And so I really try to go out of my way to find diverse books, diverse characters and things like that. Um, If you go to our website, mochasnc.com, we actually have a section on Black affirming books, which are books that both Hera and I have in our library. We got together, we put together this list. Our ultimate favorite um, for last year was, no, earlier this year, is a book that's called Tallulah, the Tooth Fairy CEO. And Oh, I heard about that one. It is the cutest book. And um, and so, so yeah, but I will tell you, I get a kick out of buying kids books with diverse characters because they didn't exist when I was a kid. So now I kind of relive all of that affirmation and, you know, and so, so yeah, I say, you know, seek it out. And then I would go the extra mile. Now, what I will do in the classroom is at the earlier stages of education, um, teachers, um, parents were allowed in the classroom prior to the pandemic where they would have days where you would do readings like every Thursday or something that a, a guest parent would come up. And those would be the opportunities that I would bring in the Black affirming books um, to read to them and dare the teacher to tell me no. So so that was that was a lot of fun in my thumb to the establishment. But yeah, it takes it takes us all. Yeah. And if you happen to be in the D.C., Maryland, or Virginia area, uh, one of the really great independent bookstores, which is also Black-owned, it's called Loyalty Bookstores. It's great. They have one in Petworth and downtown Silver Spring, and it's the type of store that you will go in in the kids section, and there will be Black faces centered. Um, there are probably books there with white kids in them, too, but the majority of them are are books with brown faces, which I really appreciate. It's one of the places that we go on weekends every once in a while. Here, plenty. <laughs> All right. So, last question before we uh, before we stop. What are some of the things I can do to support my body and mind while TTCA? Good question. So, during the time and the periods that I'm trying to conceive, it's all about me. Right. And I put those firm boundaries in place. If that means limiting my interactions with people who stress me out, limiting stressful situations because stress will impact the body and trying to conceive is part of the body. And I would do things that um, are enriching to my body. I would eat better foods, you know, drink the red wine, you know, but I would I would I would I would indulge in in things that are, you know, extremely healthy and um, healing uh, to my body as I'm going drink lots of water, watch lots of funny shows, you know, find ways to diet diet divert my um, myself from the actual process, um, but really just being intentional about who's around you, what music you're listening to, what you're watching, what you're consuming, um, both um, to food-wise and um, mentally. So that? I am really into health and fitness. So for me, I made sure to, to schedule some time in my day for a walk or a run or whatever, you know, yoga, uh, so that 
so that I had that time that I could sort of get out of my head and, and focus on fitness. And I also really love massage. And I know that when you get pregnant, massage changes, not that you can't get one, but because after the first trimester you can, but most places don't allow you to lay on your stomach, which is like so terrible because that's like the best part. So yeah, like during TTC time, I was all about the massages. It was like my treat for the week. Uh, someone told me that, that I should try acupuncture. Now, let me just tell you, some people think it's super relaxing, but to me, it felt like a thousand needles being pricked into my skin. And I was because like, it was. <laughs> and it was horrible. Like, I was just like, this is supposed to be maybe pain leaving the body, but like the guy left and he's like, okay, we'll just relax. And he tried to turn on this music and I, and I just felt like I was in a torture device. And I was like, how does somebody, this is not relaxing. I feel like I'm being tortured. And so to also then have to put needles in my stomach at night, I was like, no, thank you. I don't, it's not for me, but some people think it's great. And I've heard that it also supports going through the process uh, and, and readying your body in some way. But if, if stuff like that stresses you out, I do not, I do not recommend it, but I definitely think, yeah, be, take this time to be a little bit selfish, you know, um, have your bubble bath and embrace the word no, because people will ask a lot of you and you will be going through a lot. And so it is okay to tell people no during this time to really take that time to focus on yourself and your body and getting yourself where you need to be. So you can pursue your dream of being a mom. So funny story. I spent both of my pregnancies trying to find a prenatal massage that had a table with a cutout because I Oh, I found one with my second one. It was amazing. (laughs) See, and I'm just like, and then when my um, second pregnancy turned into the shit show that it was, I was just like, oh, well, there there goes that because everything was just then a rush. But yeah, I would say- if massage is your thing, find that massage place that has a table with the cutout. Mm-hmm. Oh, they exist and they are amazing. <laughs> oh, so amazing. And sometimes if they don't have the table with the cutout, there's a special pillow that has mm-hmm. the cutout that they can use. And oh gosh, it makes a world of difference. Like in my last trimester, I scheduled one weekly because I was like, if I can just get through this week to my massage, mm-hmm. I'll be okay. All right. So we are going to take a mid-season break so that we can bring you guys more content. And also Aisha and I are in the throes of school and getting our kids ready for the fall. And so we will be back in a few weeks to start this little journey over with you all and share with you more tips and tricks on uh, how to be about this life. And specifically, we're caught in first day of school hell. Okay. <laughs> first weeks of school hell. Right? And so, I mean, I really need uh, a mental break, a mental glass of wine, because the schools don't really know, you know, this is going into year two of, you know, schooling during a pandemic and wait until y'all what this is looking like but stay tuned yeah i need an actual glass of wine <laughs> not a mental one an actual one it's like five o'clock somewhere shoot set aside the wine. This oh is yeah tequila. this is the tequila <laughs> and like really do it up with the lime and the salt and like yeah just just the good stuff like like you know go ahead well pod thank you so much for taking the time to listen If you like what you heard, share us with your girlfriends. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So tell us what you thought of this episode on social media. 
On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Mocha SMC. You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com. Till next time, pod. Bye now.